Hello everyone and welcome to Documentation Not Included. It's Thursday at 7pm BST and uh, UK time BST and we are live on twitch.tv forward slash DNI stream. It's time for episode 2.13 Workplace Agility. I'm Chris Seabock and unfortunately Josie cannot be with us today but we are joined by a returning guest Mark Walsh. Hello Mark, please introduce Hello. yourself to any new listeners that may not have seen you before and tell people what you do. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, I've been on before. Um... I'm a tech lead based in Liverpool, uh, primarily um, deal with C-sharp applications, but, you know, dabble in, dabble in other various web technologies as well. Good stuff, right? And as always, a, a big hello to everybody in, tw in, in oh, nearly said a swears then, <laughs> in Twitch chat. And uh, hello to everybody listening to the podcast on the future. Do please get involved if you are listening live. We do read out any questions. We do uh, engage with our audience during the show. Plus, so please send anything within chat and we'll uh, we'll respond to it as, as we can. Uh, be before we get going... Josie will have my guts for Garters if we don't do our icebreaker question. So I've prepared a, a fairly simple one today, hopefully. Um, what would you rather do? Would you rather see into the future or change the past? Interesting. Uh, I would probably say see into the future um, only because I'd be worried about changing things too much in the past, if that makes any sense. Maybe... Maybe standing on, yeah, Pretty maybe standing paradoxes. on that. Yeah, paradoxes. <laughs> I don't want an infinite paradox. Um, and I feel like if I did change something in the past, would that necessarily make things better or worse? Even though that's, you know, yeah. So no, in fact, I'm not even going to get into that. It's, <laughs> see into the future. I, um, I'm with you there. Um, I would see into the future as well. But I, to be fair, probably wouldn't want to choose either of them, if I'm really honest with you. Seen it in the past, no chance. Uh, I, I'm happy with, you know, I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes, but we get better by making mistakes. We become better people. Um, and yeah, looking into the future, I'm not sure I really care that much about what's going to happen. I, I'll deal with it when it comes along, you know? Uh, I feel like it's going to be a bit of a black mirror kind of situation. And, and do I really want to see a real life black mirror? Not really um yeah so very depressing that isn't it it is a bit it is a bit i don't want to go back because it's gonna mess things up and i don't want to look forward because i'm scared of what i'll see so i'm quite i'm not scared i'm certainly not scared yeah. i just don't care that much i'm happy with the the general flow of time and the general idea of the universe and everything and i know and i'm comfortable dealing with things as they come i don't get stressed about things that might happen too much it does happen but i don't get too stressed and i don't things that have happened in the past as i said i just learned i've learned from it it happened it might have been bad i've done some things that i'm embarrassed about doing i'm doing done some things that i'm proud of doing so it doesn't you know just I, I am who i am because of that you know right anyway after that deep and meaningful start to the show let's get on with uh, our subject so today we're going to look at the wonderful world of agile so agile software development specifically, um, you can apply agile to a number of different uh, different industries if you really want. I, in fact, am working with a client now that are trying to put agile into kind of a data science type world. Um, they're playing around with uh, the creating tasks and the, you know they're trying to work with Kanban boards and stuff. So um, it is a popular development methodology. It's quite often misunderstood and quite often um, it's. It's seen sometimes as a panacea, as a as a, prob a, a 
a problem, sorry, a, a, a solution to everyone's problems. Um, but I'm going to, before we get started as well, I want to quote the Agile Manifesto. So th this, is, this is what we have to focus on here. So Agile specifically, uh, the val it values individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, comprehensive documentation, still needs Important. some documentation, um, <laughs> and uh, customer collaboration over contact ne contract negotiation and responding to change over following a plan. Now, that's just the agile side of things. We also want to talk about the frameworks, etc. So bearing all that in mind, Mark, mm -hmm. have you ever worked anywhere that follows the agile manifesto? Not all of it. <laughs> um, and I think you'll be hard pressed to find many places that actually do follow all of those core principles. I think most, most um, companies who preach agile do actually adhere to those principles, but then there'll be one or two missing. Um, yeah. So I've never really worked in a pure agile environment and we can probably talk about that completely separately. Yeah. Um, but I've worked in agile-esque environments. So what is, what is the most agile, not necessarily a place, but what's the most agile environment you've worked in? What can you explain to me what's happened? What your daily kind of, um, outlook has been or your the culture you know i suppose the culture in that place yeah so um in fact i can speak about this company because the company is no more so oh. uh the, yeah so i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna name drop <laughs> um so i used to work for late rooms way back in 2012 13 and they had as pure as i've ever seen um a fully implemented kanban methodology so it was very much um, customer centric it was very much um deliver often um and yeah they they just followed all of the principles to the letter um the only one that i'm not sure what, whether they followed was the sort of the contract negotiation um thing that you mentioned before so that was uh, customer um now let me see customer collaboration over contract negotiation. Now, bear yeah. in mind that this isn't a versus. This is no. the, the Agile Manifesto values the first thing over the other one. It doesn't mean that it's not necessary and doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I didn't see any evidence of that. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So, so where I'd, I'd presume that a customer collaboration would be meetings with your customers about your product and how to improve it. I didn't see any evidence of that, but that's not to say it didn't happen, but um, but definitely when I was there, there was none of that. <laughs> so it's interesting about what, what we class as a customer as well, because sometimes yeah. an internal piece of software, a line of business software, your customers are actually the users within the business. Uh, in the terms of late rooms, I'm imagining their customers. I actually, I, again, full disclosure, I went for an interview and actually got offered a, a job at um, late rooms a few months back, just before they went under, um, weirdly. Um, I, I didn't take it i actually took another job because i preferred the working practices elsewhere not because of the mad agile thing but because i'm remote mostly and, and they wanted people on site um mm -hmm. but they uh i liked the i that of what they were doing but their customers seem to very much be big companies versus what we would assume a late rooms customer is is the actual end user that's buying the holidays yep so they probably valued the big companies that they they arrange contracts with and they um that they see them as the customer yes 
that's that's the impression I got as well. Mm. So I think you're pretty much spot on there. So in summary, they were a very sort of pure, agile, development-driven business, uh, which was very nice to work with because you know you sort of you commit code and then it's in production. You know, twenty twenty minutes later. Well, that's um, a, that's a, a that's a framework or that's a part correct. of agile. That isn't the methodology because you can you can no. still be waterfall and be agile if you really really want to do that. <laughs> To yes. an extent, kind of. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about briefly before we get into this too much detail. For people who haven't experienced what an agile environment is, um, let's talk about the differences between traditional software development, which is waterfall, which is what we've discussed, uh, we've mentioned a few times on this show, and and so a framework within agile such as Scrum. I'm most experienced with Scrum. There is also Kanban, which we've mentioned, and there's also things like XP, uh, Extreme Programming, um, there's a number of other things as well. There's also things uh, that are coming that are becoming popular. One called there's one called Lean, but that's not really agile. It's separate. It's a, it's almost another methodology. Um, and then there are combinations of Scrum and Kanban called that are known as Scrumban or Canum. Scrum, Scrum, Scrum. I don't know. <laughs> um, so. Let's talk about waterfall first off. So waterfall, have you experienced a waterfall? Have you worked in a place that does waterfall? Um, yeah. So very early on in my career, uh, one of my first jobs, it was very much waterfall. Although they thought they were they were agile. I think a lot of people just take that agile sticker, but they were very much uh, phased uh, software development. So as in design, oh, sorry, requirements, design, implementation, testing, which is just basically what waterfall is. Some people add phases in there, but it's basically four phases, um, and we tried <laughs> we tried to implement that on a large software project. And I'm guessing, um, you, well, you probably know the results of that. It didn't work very well. It doesn't not, really work. It's not very flexible. That's the problem. No. We, basically, we do all the design and planning and everything up front. We have project managers and business analysts, and they all do their job, and then they hand over to the software development team and then they software de- they put the development together in a silo almost in their own time they get two years to do that or whatever after that it then goes out to the testing team and the testing team then do it and it's 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 a really weird way of working because generally project managers will take people from the, that entire team and then move them on to another project um, and then they won't be able to really feed back they're not flexible enough to feed back into that process where the difference with that and agile or well any kind of kind of agile framework is that we're continually working on a small continuous loop where we have enough team members everybody on the team is in theory cross-functional we all do everything to get that iteration done we work in possibly in sprints if we want to we don't have to work in sprints but we work in a way that allows us to develop something that's got value that provides value to the business deliver it get it deployed, get it tested. And then we've got tools and things that also help us do that and help us get things into production or into a testing environment. Um, Very quick, very small pieces of development. And that's a distinct difference. The reason we call it waterfall is because we we literally, we fall off a ledge and then we go into the next phase and then we fall off a ledge and then go into a next phase. Um, So your experience of Agile then, you said just before the show, that you have worked in hybrid environments. Yes. <laughs> so can you explain some of those environments? 
Yep. So the, my current environment is a is a little bit. So it's mostly Scrum, um, but we borrow elements from Kanban. Um, so yeah. So we have sprints. Um, we have dedicated team members for their prescribed roles. I don't know if, if, if we want to explain that. I probably we, we do. Help. We will. Uh, um, but uh, roles are generally only come under the Scrum. Yes. Principle, but you can take bits from everything and whatever works for for you. Yeah. So yeah, typically we have it, well, typically in Scrum you have a product owner who is basically in charge of. Um, well, if it was a visual thing that you were developing, it would be like the look and feel, the functionality, the sort of the high level requirements. Um, uh, you, you have a Scrum master. In our case, the Scrum master is also the product owner, which we can come on to again. Mm-hmm. Um, because don't forget, I work in quite a small company. And then you have the development team. Um, and within our team, we have we do actually have prescribed roles um, for certain functions. So we have front-end developers that do front-end bits of work, and we have back-end developers. However, within those roles, you can kind of pick up anything you want. So it, they're kind of prescribed roles, but we don't have assigned tasks to people. So this is interesting, because that when you talk about Scrum, Mm-hmm. You have three roles. Yes. You have the Scrum Master, you have the Product Owner, and you have a development team member. Mm-hmm. Now, the Scrum Master um, can be a development team member. It could be the Product Owner. It could be a completely separate person. It's not a particularly um, heavy role. It is a very important role, which I've learned, especially with companies that haven't adopted Agile and you are trying to invest them in that process. Um, the product owner is an absolutely necessary and wholly, uh, it's it's much bigger role than a lot of people think. It literally yeah. should be 50 plus percent of a person's time doing that role. And it's not just about look and feel and the high level requirements. It's about It's about defining the business value that the developers are working on. And they do that by creating a backlog of work. Now, that backlog can be managed in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Generally, we create these things called user stories. And a user story is essentially thinking from a user's perspective, what functionality do we need within this piece of software? And this is where things get muddy. And this is, well, one of the areas that Agile and Scrum can get muddy because people don't define user stories in the right context. They look at them sometimes as requirements. They look at them sometimes as non-functional requirements, as a, as I don't know, um, a, st- a typical user story would be, as a user, I want to be able to log onto the system securely so I can uh, so I can access my customer uh, use, I don't know, say it's a CRM system, a customer relationship management tool or something, so I can access my customer records, right? A lot of people won't look at it that way. They will look at, I want to log onto the system and enter my, uh, email address and make sure my password is uh, eight characters and you know it's going into way too much detail that's a non-functional requirement yeah. um, how do you define the backlog of work in the way that you work mark um so again it's a little bit strange um so we do have a product owner and he does give us the sort of the high level the sort of the the, the customer value driven deliverables but i also have an input as a development team member, as the, as the sort of highest development team member in terms of addressing other things that aren't necessarily to do with um, client-facing deliverables. So 
I know that I've talked at length about tech debt on here. So tech debt is, is another thing and the sort of any non-functionals, any non, non-obvious non-functionals as well. Um, and we basically, basically the highest return of investment, that is the highest on the backlog. Mm-hmm. And if there's any sort of critical maintenance work or um, tech debt that needs to be addressed, we try and roll it into a deliverable. If not, then it becomes a separate item. So that's sort of how we do it. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a, it's a. I'm not sure using the agile man, agile manifesto. That's actually agile because exactly. the agile focuses on what the customer values, and therefore you you end up with a product that that is useful to the customer, and the customer should th- in theory buy mm-hmm. and buy into as well. That doesn't always happen. A lot of the time, it's driven by business needs. Um, I'm in a we- really weird place at the moment where I'm defining user stories across four, three different products, and they're all centered around a central API. And that API, uh, only today we've we've uh, finally agreed with the stakeholders that one of the apps is going to be a mobile uh, app rather than a web app because they've been pushing web. They've previously had mobile and they've got this idea that it's brilliant and web's the way forward. And it is, but it's not appropriate for this particular app. It has to be a mobile application. So we've only just got to a point where we can define some of the additional user stories because we didn't know what the audience was. Yeah. We've we've now created a mechanism, technical, you know, tech lead plus various product owners that is, that is, uh, that makes the software more valuable to the customer, but also saleable using the sales model that the business wants to go ahead with. So you have to consider all of that, and that's the product owner's role, really. But the tech lead has to take that into account when they're designing the system and then take tech debt into account as well. And all of the other technical limitations that we have, you know? Yeah, so you can imagine that there's heated discussions about what should be in a sprint. Um, Because obviously I value things uh, I value different things, uh, you know, o- over the the product owner. Of course, I do because I value the technic the technical side of things, whereas he values sort of the customers more. We all value the customers, but p- different people have different different roles, have different priorities. I suppose is the takeaway from that. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I I totally see that. Um, yeah. I suppose at the moment I'm quite lucky in that I am looking at things from a very uh, very customer driven focus because that's my remit. As a, mm-hmm. as a consultant um, and I am essentially making, not making, I'm training the personnel at the business to understand the value in their customers. They haven't at all, because they've been very much focused on research and development, uh, research, more focused research and analysis rather. Um, and they're getting to a point now where they have to sell it and they have to think about the real world and none of them have. They've never once thought about, well, in this situation, What's the user going to do? And I and I ask them a question, and they're like, "Oh, I never thought about that." that actually, raises six questions and two blockers that I need to now go and unblock and figure out. And it's within a short period, relatively short period of time. They may not see it; they may see it as me raising lots of blockers and problems. We've we've gained so much knowledge about what the business actually is, yeah. and and where they need to head. You know, and and it's to me, it's quite satisfying, but. I imagine it's quite frustrating to stakeholders who are like, well, why are you asking all these questions? We just want to sell it. And it's like, well, 
sorry, but if you want that particular subscription model, you want to sell it by unit, then it's going to take this technical implementation and we've got to consider this and this and, yeah. you know, and training everybody to take that on board has been a hell of a challenge, but very, very rewarding and very interesting in my experience. So I can't remember, I can't remember what, what we were talking about originally. No, well, I, I waited on. I, I went off on a little tangent about my own world because it's much more important, isn't it, than everybody? Sorry. Um, so we were talk. We were talking about sprints and how to get things into backlogs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was asking you, how do you, how do you define your backlog items? You told me about how you get them into the sprint, but we haven't moved on to that. So how would you define a backlog item within your business? As in, what would it look like? Yeah. So, how do you do you, for example, create tasks? Do you create user stories? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good question. We really should create user stories because user stories are really useful for things like acceptance testing later. Um, however, at the minute, most of them are tasks. We do try and we some um, for some things they're easily convertible into user stories um, and can then be easily converted into um acceptance criteria um for a lot of our sort of um we actually include a lot of r d in our sprints as well so a lot of ours our kind of tasks are hey can you look at this is spikes. it possible to do this basically spikes yeah so a um, spike to those listening is is essentially a predefined period of time such as for two days can you go off and investigate this i.e what is the best database technology to use for this particular task we don't know how to do synchronizing with a mobile client very well. So can you just go out and test that and figure it out, you know, and tell us if it's going to be valuable and useful to the input of this particular story or task? Yeah. So there was a bit of a hybrid. Um, <laughs> it's a common theme with this, with my current sprint stru uh, structure, but um, yeah, it's a bit of a hybrid between user stories and, and just, just tasks. And it really depends on the, the um, amount of effort required for the deliverable as to whether that's going to be a user story, or it's going to be broken up into, you know, um, multiple user stories or multiple tasks. Um, and that kind of gets decided when we enter our scoping period. Well, that's the interesting thing. <laughs> so, so a user story for me is and it's not just for me, within the Scrum framework, so we're moving into Scrum now. Um, we've not talked about really the difference between Scrum and Kanban. We haven't really got time to do that. So we're going to focus on Scrum from now on, I think, because it yeah. tends to be the, the, the most common framework that most of the most of the places I've worked anyway, at least, have used. Um, so Scrum defines these roles. What we have uh, within Scrum are things called sprints. And a sprint is a period of time, two weeks, 30 days, um, that we we time box and say, within those two weeks, we are going to do X, Y, and Z. That may be user stories, it may be tasks, it may be, um, it depends on the resources you've got available, the number of developers. Um, but at the beginning of that period, and, and I'm gonna be interested to see how you deal with this, Mark. Yeah. Generally, what you should do is you should have a sprint planning meeting. And the sprint planning meeting is, if you're doing two weeks, you should essentially have two hours per week that's the general idea. So you should have a four-hour meeting where the tech lead, the developers that are going to be doing the work in the sprint, and the product owner, and any other stakeholders that the product owner believes are relevant for that particular sprint are brought into a room or 
into an online meeting room if you've got remote workers because it doesn't really matter. Um, to me, it doesn't anyway. It's better if you're face-to-face, -face, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, and then you agree what's going to get dragged into off the backlog into the off the product backlog, which is just this big, long list of of tasks or stories that the uh, that the product owner has refined, supposed to have put in a in the order of preference, and then uh, to do with the value that they're offering the business or offering the customer, um, and then they are dragged into the backlog, and everyone agrees one how long each task is going to take, <clears throat> and two uh, what are we going to get by the end of this sprint? Are we focusing on I don't know if it's a new piece of software, you might not get much because in two weeks you're not going to get the whole database and all the API and everything else done. But you might just be able to get the security features done. So you'll put them into the sprint and by the end of the two weeks you have them. <clears throat> How do you do it, Mark? Yeah, so <laughs> uh, quite similar. We don't, here's a, here's, a, here's a strange concept. We don't actually time box scoping in that manner. I know that's by the book, um, but we actually, we scope as a team, as you said, all together. So all of the stakeholders are all together. Most importantly, the product owner is always there. Um, otherwise, it's pointless. Um, and we scope until we've reached basically what we think is, the, is going to be take us up to the end of the sprint. So let's just say, so our sprints are four weeks long, typically. We will scope four weeks worth of work, approximately, as a team. Um, and that scope, and by the way, that scope and session altogether is absolutely invaluable because individual scoping just doesn't work. Um, you miss things. Um, even the most competent of developers will miss things. Um, people forget about validation. I've seen that before. Mm -hmm. People forget about security. I've seen that before. Um, so yeah, so we scope all together. Um, and that's sort of like a, a high level scoping and we identify like the key functionality. And then we do actually allow people to individually scope, but then we come back and review all of those individually scoped items as a team. Within what, within a, within a week or within? Within about, usually within less than a week. Okay, um, so within a few days. Yeah, so usually, <laughs> I mean, you know, not exactly by the book, but that's, we've found that that gets away from Historically, we've had problems where people have delivered things that just aren't correct or not what we've agreed in the in the initial meeting. And having that closing meeting just kind of solidifies it. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. Gen generally, you you scope, you do these this meeting, um, mm -hmm. sprint planning. You agree what goes in the backlog. You assign times and estimates to it. Not necessarily times, but what have you have you worked with story points previously? I have worked with story points. Um, I have worked with t-shirt sizes as well. Oh, have you worked uh, with like Fibonacci numbers and things yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, at the minute, we still just use days. Uh, we find that that's a, a bit of an easier metric, although every everything I've read online about using days says basically don't use it. Yeah. I think it's because it's a pressure, an added pressure. It's um, not It's not that. It's not necessarily... Well, it is. That, that is a, an element of it. But mainly, um, if you use story points, relative story points, what you can then do is you can... When you fail, because you have... You've already told me that you failed to deliver everything in your sprint. When you fail, because everybody does for the first few sprints, you can look back and you can look at, right, so we allocated 40 story points to this period. 
right? However you've worked it out, it doesn't matter, right? 40 story points is what we've allocated here. You might even conceptually just use story points as days initially. Um, if you use a Fibonacci number, then you've got a different scaling model, so you can... I actually quite like it, and I'm getting used to it. It's something new that I've started looking at. So Fibonacci number is where you take the previous two numbers, add them up, and you get the next one in the sequence. Um, and it works... It works after a number of sprints. You don't see any results quickly. But after a number of sprints, you can look back at your burn down charts and you can say, well, we allocated 40 points for the last for the last sprint. Let's try, and we didn't hit it. Let's try and allocate 30 points to this sprint. All right, mm -hmm. we've exceeded what we, we thought we were going to hit. We're either miscalculating our story points entirely, but by the third sprint, by the fourth sprint, by the fifth sprint, you're actually refining, not exactly, but closely, how many story points, and you're getting better at allocating story points, you think, and you, you, you can estimate how much work you can put into the next sprint a lot easier w with this abstract concept and it it doesn't mm. sound like it makes sense but it really does when you get further into it i, su I suppose initially if let's just say for example we move towards i don't know t-shirt sizes i mean it's all the same thing because it's all abstract anyway but um i suppose the easiest way to do that would just be to assign a range of days to a t-shirt size so extra small is one day small is two days medium is three to five days and then that's probably the natural progression that you can go to this abstraction um it's about getting <laughs> away from days that's the thing it's about getting yeah. away from that concept of time because it's i know it is all time and you've got a certain amount of days to do this but not nothing is linear in development and that's the no. problem is trying to get things into days sometimes that implies that you must have it done within five days mm -hmm. when in fact that story forms that them five stories that you've agreed to do over the next two weeks that forms a bulk of value for the business it doesn't matter when you do them it doesn't matter how long it takes you to do it may take you two days to do one story that you've estimated for five days and it may take you 10 days to do one story you've estimated for two days it mm -hmm. really, and as long as you fit it in that period, it doesn't matter to the business. Yeah. You've allocated the task to the developer and they can go off and get this teeth stuck into it. Yeah. One, one problem I found with estimations and other people in the business and people who are not involved with software development is an estimation is, is actually an estimation. It's not a, it will take five days. It's not, we don't do data entry where you could probably relatively accurately predict how long it's going to take me to type 10 word documents um it's in its very nature as a as a it's an organism in itself um yeah. so it's it's unpredictable and things happen and things change and goalposts move um and you so, get scope creep which is something we may talk about if we've got time yeah yeah um so yeah that's that's another another sort of thing that i've really come up against and that's not just that's in every company i've ever worked is to say okay i estimate it's going to take x amount of time but that is an estimation yeah um, and that's the thing is you cannot you one of the things as developers suffer from is when we give an estimation a lot of stakeholders will take that estimation and say right it will be done and unfortunately software does not work that way I've just, I'm in the pr process of redeveloping a security system based on a brand new model that's been uh, requested of me because 
because the business model has changed. It's a fundamental change to the way that things log on. Instead of using a username and password, for example, we're now using username, password, another identifier, plus a load of device-specific stuff that we need to do because of the model that we're moving towards. Um, the stakeholders don't care about that. They just need to know that that's going to be done in the next two weeks. And that's all that you should really be concerned about for them is if it's going to take you three months to do that, then you need to say, that's going to take me three and a half months. Yeah. And you need to say, then that, that's your contingency. And you need to represent that with your, the way that your sprints are uh, organized. And it's all about expectation management. Every single time I speak to a high level stakeholder and say, right, that's going to take me around two days. And I've heard other people do this. And every time they do it, I pull them up on it and say, is that two days of real time, as in two days of development? Or is that two days from now until then, including all your other tasks? And then they go, oh, actually, that's that's two days of development. And I go, right, well, how much time are you able to spend on development per day? Oh, about two hours, because they've got millions of other tasks in this particular company. They've got loads of other things going on. And I say, right, so that actually means that it's going to be November until you can do those two days worth of work in total. And they go, yeah, probably. Whereas the stakeholders would have expected you to have it done by the end of the week. Yeah. But it's, um, it's, it's, you have to be realistic and they have to make a call on it. Yeah. I'm not going to go through all of them. <laughs> I'm not going to go through all of my scoping rules, but I always say, I mean, I've got like a giant scoping checklist. So when a feature comes in, the team members who are who do their individual scoping on particular items, they have to go through certain things like, you know, have you considered performance? Have you considered security around this? And half the time, you know, check the box. Yes, I have. It's not relevant. But um, one of them is, have you considered the fact that your working day is probably about five and a half to six hours long, really, in real time working, you know, after you've come in, had a coffee, looked at your emails, maybe you've got some BAU work to do. You're not going to have seven and a half, eight hours a day. That's not real world. Um, so yeah, I kind of encourage people to bulk up their estimations. Overestimate. I yeah. generally, what I, when I have a figure in my head, and I tend to be quite, quite good at estimates um, and managing expectations these days. If someone says to me, go and do this, right? And I think, right. I can have to change that class. I have to modify that service. I'm going to have to change the change the um, the signature for the API. I'm going to have to do the validation security. It's going to take me about four days in probably full time software. You know, head down, kind of proper mm. typing away, getting getting into it. Oh, and then I might have hit a problem there. So I usually say that's probably going to take me about two weeks to do that. Yep. And and they go okay, right. And very rarely I get pushback these days. Um, and then if I deliver it in six days, instead of two weeks, five, 10 days, they, they're over the moon and you're seen immediately as not, I'm not going to use the term superstar coder. You're seen as somebody who delivers and that's what matters at the end of the day. It's that perception. And it's not yeah. about me overestimating because I feel, I feel lazy. It's me overestimating because genuinely I cannot predict the future. I am not. A superhuman i've got lots of superhuman powers but not that i can't predict what's coming up you know yeah i suppose if you've overestimated and you've delivered in that six days you've actually delivered something that you know more than likely properly works and you you've functionally tested it 
And, and you, if anything, you've looked at it and said, how can I make this better? Whereas if you were head down, you're not going to raise your head and say, hang on a minute, am I doing this in the best way I can? Which is what you kind of get when you've, when you've got that, that, that leeway. You can, you, that's when the, the real improvement starts on what you've built. I spent half a day yesterday, not today, today or yesterday, I spent half a day reading blogs um, and f- figuring out, uh, uh, reading new uh, like versions of the RFCs for uh, for JWT tokens. Because I've been, uh, there's some new stuff that's happened that I need to, again, the security model, I need to modify it. And I spent half a day not coding mm-hmm. because I needed to know this information to be able to implement it in a secure fashion. The stakeholders, I mean, I'm happy for them to know that knowledge, but it's not something I'll ever tell them because they don't need to know it. They need to know that in two weeks or in another week's time, because I'm in the middle of my sprint, I'm going to have this delivered. Same with the product owners to an extent, although you might go into a little bit more detail with the product owners. It's not lying and it's not uh, failing at your job. Nobody knows everything. And and our industry moves very, very fast. Mm. I mean, I read an article the other day and another one got published that was an update, a new version of it while I was reading it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it was it was like right uh, okay so the stuff I, most of the stuff I've read is right and then the skill is actually figuring out what's changed because they haven't produced a change log. Um, Let's not mention the uh, the wonderful world of JavaScript frameworks. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I upgraded only a week ago, I think, to the latest uh, versions of uh, some .NET NuGet packages. Already, I, I, yesterday I did a, another update because they changed. <laughs> There's no loads yeah. of new releases. Uh, it's wonderful. Our job is basically updating and patching software. Excellent. It's wonderful. I love it. Uh, so, so we've talked about sprints. We've talked about planning our sprints and estimating a little bit. We'll move on from this. We've we've not got much much time left. Um, so at the end of our sprints, once we've failed to deliver or we've delivered, what do you do in your company at the end of your uh, thirty to, uh, four week period? Oh. Ooh, I'm going to do something controversial and, and just state what we do do during the sprint. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so we have a stand-up every day. I forgot about that. That's, that's <laughs> it's just a standard thing to us, the, to everybody, yeah. to most yeah. developers. Yeah. So we have a stand-up every day, and basically I'll keep this very short. It's a five-minute meeting in the morning, and it's basically, have you got any blockers? That's always the first question because that's the most important question. Uh, and what can I do to... Um, overcome your blockers for you so you can carry on with your task. That's basically all we, we actually ask. I think some some uh, some other companies ask that I've worked in have asked additional questions. I don't feel like you need to. It's literally, are you blocked? Yes or no? I find absolute value in, for a team of about five or six people, 15-minute conversation every day, because what is 15 minutes? You know, I mean, I've had people who say, I haven't got time for 15 minutes every day. And it's like, well, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that spare... there's something wrong in your way that you work um i find extreme value in the standard practice uh, of stand-ups which is what do you what have you done yesterday what are you doing today and uh, we don't need like the nth you know the nth degree we we just need to know a high level what have you worked on now if you're working with developers then it might be more granular it might be right i've worked on this service i've got the tokenization stuff done i've done you know whatever but if you're working with product owners or stakeholders you might want to be a bit more high level i had a meeting uh, about this decision that we're talking about i i 
I don't know, I worked on the security features of the software that we were discussing, you know. Um, but then there's also, as you quite rightly said, what is blocking you? And even if, if somebody doesn't, and quite often people do not tell us, they don't specifically say, I've got no blockers. I ask them, have you got any blockers? Is there anything that you're doing that you need input from somebody else for? And that's extremely important. I find that those three questions, they invoke conversation, they get people to talk to each other, they get people to go over and say, oh, that thing that you mentioned the stand-up this morning, I've been doing something on that as well today, or I did some last something last week, do you need a hand on it? Or is there something that we've missed? Or hang on, you've, you sounds like you're repeating the work that I've done. It's to invoke conversation. It's the same as the user stories. The user stories aren't there to detail the requirements. They're there to make people talk to each other and make people do a bit of documentation as well and just, you know, list what the kind of things at the high level, what they need to do. Um, so yeah, that's the daily stand-up. Very, very, very important in, in Agile. And at the end of the process then, so at the end of the uh, the scrum, uh, the, the sprint, what do you do, Mark? So we have a, um, so we use a Git flow model, but I'm not going to get into specifics. So we basically release to our test environment. Okay. Um, and then we enter a period of testing, even though that's not really anything to do with Agile. Um, once we've so as far as the sprint's concerned, we've delivered that sprint at that point. Um, we then have a uh, sprint retrospective where we talk about what went well in the sprint. Do you actually do that? Yeah. Okay. And what, what, go on, sorry. do you just have the one meeting? Um, we have the one meeting that might uh, that might create additional meetings. Okay. Um, so what I'm trying to get at here is do you split your review from your respect retrospective and do you know the difference in the scrum kind of handbook? Do you know the technical difference between those meetings? No. <laughs> so a review is where at the end of the soft off at the end of the sprint, everybody, product owner mostly and the developers, get together and the developers present what they've done, why they've done it what user stories they've covered and how they've done it. And they actually show the output, how it, whatever that is. If it's a CLI program they've created or it's a nice new UI feature, this is what we've done. We like it. Cool. If there's things that need to be done on that, that needs to get put back in the backlog and then reprioritized uh, that haven't been finished. But a retrospective is where you look back at the process. And this is usually quicker as well, because especially the further into the sprint you get, um, you look back at the process, you look back at the um, the way that you've worked, the time that you spent on the uh, on the on meetings, the time that you spent developing, the time basically you have a retrospective on the process and you figure out if there's anything you can improve within the process, hence agile. We, we want to make this a quicker, more manageable, more lean, I suppose, way of working. Yeah. Do you have both of those elements in your final meeting, so, or? Uh, yeah, yeah. We so we have we have a show and tell, which is essentially what you've just described as a review. So we, you know, obviously not everything can be shown, but we, it will be described. Um, so that the things that can be shown will be shown to you know the major stakeholders. Obviously, if we were doing some sort of security upgrade, which is completely transparent to an end user, there's what you're going to show. You know. Uh, a CEO of a company. <laughs> so that that doesn't provide value though yeah. to Correct. the stakeholders or the customers. So that should really, by the end of a sprint, you should be able to show something to yeah. the customer. 
So for example, rewriting a security feature, even if it's just, look, we can still log in. We can still log in exactly yeah. the same way as we previously did, but it still works. I know it sounds daft, but that's essentially the value that you provided. We can still log in. We've improved the security. If you really, really want to know more about why we've had to do this work, here's some literature. They will never read it, but it's still, you know, <laughs> this is why we've done it. Yeah. It's our job to do this, you know, I'm sorry. but <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, we do have kind of separate, we call it show and tell, but it is a review um, part of it. Uh, and we do have a retrospective, which is, you know, the, which is which I find the most value in the what went well, what didn't go well, what should we stop doing, and what should we start doing? And the, there's various different ways that you can say those exact phrases, but that's basically what it is. Um, which and is uh, do you alter on, things based on that? We do. Um, so our, a lot of meetings come out of that, um, particularly things like, "Hey, I don't think the way that tickets get reported into the team." is going particularly well because I keep having to pick up the tickets and my features falling behind because I keep doing BAU work. Um, so, and we've introduced systems off the back of feedback from that. In fact, actually that was one of my gripes. <laughs> um, we've introduced uh, systems and we've got no personnel to support them, that kind of thing. No, sorry. I, I didn't mean systems there. And um, we've introduced processes, um, based off what people have said in that retrospective. Right. Um, so it, it really does work. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> right, so basically... The thing is, as well, you can't cater for everything. It's the product owner's role and probably senior stakeholders to alter the business and alter the practices based on the feedback from that retrospective. I feel it's valuable to document that in some way and have that shared with people whether it's just pasting it in Slack or it's um, sending an email to the relevant stakeholders just so people are aware of these things keep happening. Mm -hmm. Things like the daily stand-ups, they highlight when people are stuck on a particular problem. These meetings, these chats between each other, you need to get your work done, but also it's the it's, some people might not even identify that they've got a blocker. And the retrospective, and the, re the retrospective specifically, is designed to allow us to unblock those things that we may not see. We may just see as BAU. BAU may very well, your, your talents as a, as a senior developer may very well be better spent on developing and designing new pieces of software and, and getting a junior in to work on the BAU work to yeah. maintain the software. You don't know. And it might be more valuable to the business for them to do that. Yeah. So one of the one of the things, which is a very interesting concept that was raised off the back of a retrospective, which was, as I said before, I myself was complaining about doing too much BAU work. So um, we had a we had a little look around at how other teams kind of deal with that, and um, there's a there's a concept called being the Batman, um, which is essentially um, so as a business we have to support. BAU requests, um, you know, just any sort of BAU request that might get handed over to third line support, which is us. Um, so basically, we round robin um, responsibility of dealing with them. So within our sprints, it might be me on week one. Okay. It might be um, John Doe on week two. And then, you know, Jane on week three. <laughs> um, so basically, that time in the sprint isn't really, we kind of allocate for the fact that you might be interrupted by a, by BAU operations during that week. 
yep. if that makes any sense. And we yep. kind of we kind of account for that as well when we scope. Um, and if you looked at our, we've got like a Gantt chart. If you looked at our Gantt chart, you can see sort of like, it actually looks like a waterfall. You can kind of see like my time sectioned off as BAU and then and then Jane's time sectioned off as BAU. And, and to be honest, it, it really does work. I'm not sure Gantt charts come anywhere no. into Agile. No, but... it's nothing to do with Agile. That's just, <laughs> that's just how we visualize. Because uh, obviously we're four-week sprints. Yeah. Um, and that's just how we visualize holidays and, and things and, right, and who's right. on BAU work. Um, but... Um, so yeah, that really does work because it, it enables developers. It, it first of all, it minimizes blockers because you don't have various team members working on um, BAU requests, and it also focuses people on what they're doing because um, obviously context switching is a massive issue mm. in the development world. Um, so yeah, that was one thing that came out of it. I it's worth looking at. Uh, it is actually called being the Batman. I, I don't no idea where that came from. Never heard that term, but. Uh, it's it's worth looking into, particularly if you if you feel like your team's suffering from, um, it, well, one team member suffering from a lot of BAU work. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean BAU to to anybody listening and doesn't know what it is, it's it's the bane of every developer's life. Nobody wants to do BAU. Nobody what it's the work that it's the donkey work, isn't it? That's yeah. uh, that's needed to keep the business running. Uh, usually maintaining legacy systems, legacy software, or or just running reports or running like processes on data that needs to be cleaned on a daily basis because there's no software to automate that part or some maintaining CI CD systems if you don't have a, a, a CI guy for that, a, a DevOps guy for that. It, it could be anything that's just a mundane task that needs to be performed. And I think yeah. that is a good way of handling it. To, yeah. You know, to have, we could even do a show on that. To be fair, BAU work and why it's bloody awful and how to mitigate it as well. Yeah, automate everything. <laughs> automate everything is the answer. Yeah. Um, but uh, spend all your BAU time writing scripts to automate the BAU. <laughs> well, that's interesting because when we are, when I am the Batman, <laughs> that's um, that's what a significant chunk of my time is spent doing right. because I'm basically off my feature. Um, so a lot of our sort of, we're minimizing our BAU work whilst we're doing BAU work. It's a bit like BAU inception, but yeah. Um, um, yeah so. No, oh, it needs to, it needs to be done. Right. I think we've reached uh, the end of our show. We've run over ever so slightly. So it's now time for our RTFM section. Uh, this is a bit where we get a chance to have a whinge, have a mourn about anything, not necessarily in the development world, but could be anything that's, uh, that's occurred in our life that we are not happy with because catharsis is wonderful. So Mark, have you got anything this week that you're, uh, you want to have a whinge about? Um, yeah. So I just, do you know what it is? It's just, it's, it's when you've, when you've come back from holiday and if anything, you need a holiday after a holiday and you come back and people have stored questions up for you oh. and you, and you, you're in. You're still in your holiday mode. So in my mind, I'm still in Italy. What if I died? Uh, yeah. Who would answer those questions if yeah. I died? But it's um, <laughs> it's, it's it's never like a yes or no question. It's always like, a, oh, we need a follow up call for for this. Um, oh yeah, and it's all, it's always like the most complex of questions. I never get really easy questions before I go away. Uh, sorry, I never get really complex questions before I go away, and my mind's fully in work and. You know, I can answer it really quickly and I look really amazing. 
It's always <laughs> the really complex questions when I come back. And You're I'm just like, like oh, pizza. Yeah, I'm just, Pasta. yeah, I don't even know how to define a variable anymore. It's it's just a joke when I come back from holiday. I just, yeah, a pizza and pasta coma. I'm, yeah. I'm still in it as well, to be honest. Um, but that's the sort of, it, I don't, I'm sure people don't do it intentionally, but, you know, I, I, in another strand of thought, I'm sure that they do do it intentionally. Well, if anybody's seen Mark on the show previously, we, we had a, was it, were you on for the indispensable developer one? Or was, it some, uh, was it somebody else, or were you commenting in that one? Anyway, I might have been commenting in it, yeah. Uh, but I yeah, it's, we've, we've, I think we might have had a chat about it or something. So yeah. I remember us talking about it. But it, being an indispensable developer, being that person that people look to and ask for questions, you know, that that they don't think other people can answer. Sometimes it's just a delegation thing. They're scared to make a decision without mm -hmm. your input. Maybe you're too domineering in the workplace, Mark. Maybe that's what it is. I, yeah, I think I just like my fingers in as many pies as possible. And that's the <laughs> <a> problem. <laughs> uh, uh, my RTFM this week is um, how to word this. People that share um, shrouded or cleverly worded memes on social media or anywhere, to be fair, or maybe they're too ignorant to understand that they are heavily offensive and racist or... And, and this is something that's happened this weekend that somebody that I like quite a lot on my Facebook has, has shared something. I don't even want to read it out because it's, it's, not, it's not directly offensive. It's just something that it targets a group of people without directly saying, basically, it targets, it targets Muslims and says that they're all terrorists without them actually saying that, without actually saying that outright, right? And it's absolutely hideous and it it really annoys me and i call people out on when this kind of thing happens i say something to them and I, I understand banter i understand jokes but when you're spreading messages like that it it really gets my goat because it's spreading messages amongst people that maybe don't fully understand or fully get the the fact that it's damaging um I'll share with you afterwards, Mark, what, what the thing was, just so you know what I'm going on about. But just basically, just be careful about what you share on, on your social medias. Don't... Social medias? They're <laughs> old. I'm so old. So, so old. Uh, these people obviously don't have any consideration for any potential career that they might have. It's when you see quite a few people liking the posts and laughing at the posts as well, and, and you know, that... Uh, and, and then when you look, when you click on the origin the origin of the post, it's usually a, somebody who's waving a British flag or a or a you know there are every single every second post is public and the, and it's it's you know what's the word not shrouded it, it's it's just basically ignorance and yeah. it's quite upsetting that there's, so, there's a lot of people like that out there and uh, you know I, I I try to be accepting and I like I like to think most people I know are accepting, but when you find out somebody that that you know fairly well is doing it online and just sharing these things without thinking about them, they don't come across like that in real life, but it's just like, well, have you not thought about how offense, anyway, whinge over. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's quite, I, I, I am, I'm gonna shut up. Right, so thank you very much, Mark. And uh, thanks to everybody listening. We are now at the end of the show. 
Um, thank you uh, to people in chat. There's not been much going on today. I think Josie not being here and uh, us not doing too much marketing previous to the, the show has meant that people haven't been chatting as, as much as they have. But uh, thanks nonetheless. Thanks to Tultepe, who's, uh, who said hello at least anyway. Um, and hello. as I said, thanks to you, Mark. Hopefully no you enjoyed yourself. I have. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, you Have you got anything to pimp? Any um, personal projects? I know. I'm going to pride myself on the fact that I just never pimp myself. No. I just I never pimp myself. It's never, it's never going to happen. Um, no, no personal projects of note. I just tinker. You can't really, you can't pimp a tinker. No, not really. Not unless it's, uh, not unless it's becoming more than a tinker and you're, you're developing it into something that's useful, I suppose, for other people. I'm enjoying AWS at the minute. Let's just put it that way. All right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Is that on your on your GitHub? Maybe can you? Can you... Uh, no, it's not on no, the GitHub. Fair enough. And also unlimited private repositories, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Um, right. Anyway, so yes, uh, time for our pimpage. Then you can follow us on uh, our website www.dnistream.live for all links and social media channels, Discord dev chat, and all our podcast discovery platforms. Uh, you can use con use our contact form to get in touch with us for any reason. If you want to be a guest on the show, you've got a subject that you'd like to talk about, or you've just got a comment about anything that we've said today, um, or you are also annoyed by uh, slightly racist memes on the internet, please do support me in this. <laughs> All that is left to say is goodbye. Thank you very much for watching. I will see we shall see you next week. Bye bye. Bye.